Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Coronavirus and Sports. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray. Today, We'll be looking ahead to the NFL Virtual Draft. SI senior writer and MMQB's Albert Breer will be joining us to break down the logistics behind this mammoth project, and former player and media personality Solomon Wilcots will be reflecting on his own draft and his views on this year's scenario during the pandemic. First, Here's a recap of the weekend's developments around coronavirus and sports. The WNBA draft took place on Friday night and became the first virtual draft in modern time as a result of COVID-19. After a few initial expected hiccups, the event was met with positive reception as Commissioner Kathy Engelbert announced the picks from her home in New Jersey as drafted players took part via video conference. All of it was broadcasted on ESPN. There were touching, powerful moments, such as the start of the night when the league announced Alyssa Altobelli, Gianna Bryant, and Peyton Chester as honorary draftees. The New York Liberty selected Oregon guard Sabrina Ionescu with the number one overall pick. After the announcement, fans quickly headed to the team's website to buy her new jersey, which sold out within an hour after her selection. And finally, ESPN showed the first two episodes of the highly anticipated docuseries The Last Dance on Sunday night. The series, which deals with Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls and their quest for their sixth title in 1997-1998 season, was met with overwhelming positive reviews on social media. According to Twitter, more than 1.6 million tweets regarding the series were generated in the first 24 hours of the day of release, where the most talked about moment of the night was not on Jordan himself, but rather Scottie Pippen being underpaid and undervalued. You can read our reaction to the show's debut on SI.com. The third and fourth episode will be next Sunday. This Thursday, we will see a production of Gigantic Proportions.
the 2020 NFL Draft, which was originally meant to take place in Las Vegas, is a production that brings in a tremendous amount of marketing power, and there's an argument to be made that after the Super Bowl, it's the main event for football fans. But when the pandemic struck, Commissioner Roger Goodell had a decision to make. Should the NFL go ahead with the draft? And if the answer is yes, how can it become not just a safe event, but also an entertaining and profitable one? Fast forward to this week, and now we anticipate a massive digital production, the NFL Virtual Draft, filled with technological and cybersecurity-heavy arrangements that will aim to comply with social distancing guidelines. It has the WNBA as a source of how a virtual draft can be done with fluidity and broadcasting appeal, but given the NFL's massive national and international popularity, the NFL draft is both open to being successful and vulnerable. It all depends how well prepared they are. Joining me now is SI senior writer, lead content strategist for Sports Illustrated Monday morning quarterback, Albert Breer. Albert, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Luis. Let's talk about this virtual draft. I guess my first question begins with this. Why did the NFL decide to do a virtual draft? Uh, I mean, I think you, there are two different answers. Um, I think the first answer is because they can um, and because there's an ability here to kind of create what they do every April without having people all in the same place. Um, a lot of this stuff is done remotely with some of the technology um, that they have now through things like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. And most of the teams are going to be using Microsoft Teams um, and all of them are going to be using it to, to contact the league, WebEx, through different modes of communication. Might not be as clean as they normally would have it. But, you know, they, they, they're able to kind of recreate what they normally have on a draft day. So that's number one. Number two, you'd be remiss if you didn't mention the league seeing great opportunity in this. And I think a lot of it goes back to kind of, you know, how they've sort of approached um, the offseason over the last 10 to 15 years, which they've tried to make football a year-round sport. And they want to make free agency a bigger deal. They want to make the draft a bigger deal. They want to make their league meetings a bigger deal. Um, they want to make it so we're always thinking about football. And they've struggled with some of those things and some of those things they've done better with. The draft's obviously been a very big success. And, you know, they're always looking to try to draw the casual fan in. And, you know, for for them, certainly, I, I think, you know, when you look at the way, look at the way free agency went, um, right in the middle of March, it would have been during March Madness. Instead, they had the stage to themselves. I think they got a lot of what they wanted out of that where, you know, they drew in some fans who maybe wouldn't have been paying as much attention otherwise. And certainly the draft is another case of that, where I think that they see great opportunity in having the stage of sports to themselves to sort of kind of create an event that's going to you know be broadcast to a captive audience. This hasn't always, I, you know, the draft's their most popular off-season event. Um, I would say for the, from a league office perspective, maybe the second most important event behind the Super Bowl because it involves all 32 teams. Um, you know, and being able to bring in more casual fans again, I think having that captive audience, giving them something sports wise when they haven't had much sports wise over the last month, I think they see great opportunity in that. Okay, let's simplify because this is a podcast and a show, not necessarily just for your hardcore NFL fan, but your casual fan. How is this process of the draft actually going to work? What are we going to expect um, on the day of? 
a lot of it's going to be, you know, kind of leveraging technology as best they can. And so, um, you know, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, uh, lives in Bronxville, New York. He will actually be, um, you know, announcing the picks as he normally does in a very different way from his basement. So they're going to have a camera set up in his basement. They'll have an IT person with him, make sure everything's up and running there. The hub of the draft broadcast will be in Bristol, Connecticut. ESPN and NFL Network are going to be kind of uh, co-anchoring the broadcast from there. Um, and then the 32 teams are each going to have their own setups where, you know, they have the normal gamut of people that are going to be beaming into the decision makers. And the NFL is allowing each team to designate one decision maker. That decision maker is allowed to have an IT person with them. And then they're allowing for three people to be in a Microsoft team meeting with the league office. So it's 32 times three, 96 team personnel are going to be part of that meeting in which they're going to relay picks and trades and those sorts of things to the commissioner so he can announce them. And so you're going to be back. That's going to be backed up with a conference call. You're also going to have over 50 players that have been sent kits by the league. So those people are going to be broadcasting from home. Um, and so you're going to be able to see Joe Burrow, the quarterback from LSU, likely to go first overall. Chase Young, the defensive end from Ohio State, likely to go second overall. Guys like that are going to be involved in the broadcast as well. And so they're trying to recreate a lot of the elements that you normally have um, as part of the broadcast and recreate the functional um, part of the draft through all the technology that's available to all of us now. Is Goodell working on a virtual handshake or a virtual hug? <laughs> They'd actually talked about that, Luis. Now, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, I'd been out there before that EA Sports was actually going to create through their Madden platform, maybe like virtual handshakes, virtual hugs, those sorts of things. I don't know if that's going to happen. It doesn't sound like it's going to happen now. Um, but there were some fun ideas that were kind of like kind of thrown around as they went through the process of putting this together. There was another question I had closely related to that, which is uh, you can't have a draft without booing, right? Uh, will fans be involved in a way, do you think? I, I'm not sure how they're going to involve the fans. Um, obviously, it's been a huge part of it. I, I think like I, I even saw a story a couple of days ago, and I haven't done my own reporting on this, but I, I saw a story a couple of days ago where some fans, uh, you know, industrious fans, I call them, uh, actually looked up Goodell's home address and were able to find it so they can go and, and boo at him from his driveway or whatever uh, on April 23rd. So uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'd advise anybody to do that, but... Uh, you know, I think they'll find ways to get get fans involved in, the, in in all this. I'm just not sure exactly how that's going to work right now. Yeah, as a South American and a soccer fan, I can tell you that that's not a good idea to cheer somebody's house. Let's. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the implications and the issues that I think that obviously the biggest issue I'm imagining is cyber attacking, right? Any IT security issue, would you say that's the most important? And are there any other problems that the NFL has to deal with ahead of the draft? Well, yeah, I, you know, I'd start here, Luis. I mean, I think each of the individual teams has sort of had to confront this, you know, and, and I, I wrote about this maybe two, three weeks ago where like IT was a serious thing. And, um, you know, I think most of these guys figured, OK, well, I can just take my laptop home and, you know, do all the stuff I do at the office here. What they didn't, you know, kind of take into account was they're working in facilities that cost tens of millions of dollars to build. They've got business grade Internet wired into their computer at the office. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that they use at the office is difficult to run on a home Internet connection. It sounds simple and stupid, but it's true. A couple of guys who are road scouts who are, work remotely all the time reached out to me and said, yeah, it's funny to hear that because that's our day to day life. In fact, I talked to one guy 
who actually said that he his home internet isn't strong enough to run the programs he needs to run on his computer. So like he routinely goes to the local Starbucks because they've got a stronger internet connection there to, to run it. And so that's the sort of thing that these teams are running into. And that's been a little bit of an issue. And I think that's why they've allowed where the decision maker is going to be able to have a, an IT person on hand, because certainly the last thing anybody wants is for somebody to get on the clock. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, my internet connection went out. Um, so, you know, they're doing their best to try to create some fail safes for those sorts of spots. The more we talk, the more obsessed I am becoming uh, on how this is going to actually work out. Let me ask you something else here uh, on the logistics of it all, because you mentioned about internet going out, issues like that. Once the decision on a player has been made by a team, how does a team specifically send its spick? And are there issues maybe of like that part of the communication not being put through on the day of? So that's going to be over the Microsoft Teams app. And it's interesting because you mentioned the the whole security thing. Like that's, I mean, part of it was like the, the Microsoft Teams was seen as, and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus here, but was seen as being more secure than some of the other options. And so, um, you know, they're going to be doing some of this through the Microsoft Teams app um, where, you know, like I said before, you're going to be able to designate three people within your organization that are going to be part of that Microsoft Teams call with the league office. The reason you have three in each case is in case someone's internet connection goes out, quite literally. And so if, you know, the GM, the general manager, if his internet connection goes out, well, maybe he can just call the pick in to his director of player personnel who can then, you know, relay that in through the Microsoft Teams meeting. Um, And then if, you know, all three were to fall off, well, then that's backed by a conference call. And so each of the 32 teams is also going to be in on a conference call where the picks and trades are going to go through. And so they've tried to do everything they can to create fail safes in case internet goes out at someone's house, in case there's a connection issue at someone's house. You know, those sorts of things are trying to create every every sort of fail safe they possibly can to make sure that there isn't a problem on draft night. Security is another issue, like you said, Luis. Um, and I do think that, you know, at least there's the hope out there that they're all going to take care of each other. But who knows? I mean, you know, for a hacker, what better way would there be to go viral than be able to tap into someone's you know draft meeting and steal their draft board? You know what I mean? And put that up on the Internet. So there are all kinds of issues and precautions are being taken. No question about it. Yeah, this is uh, Sandra Bullock's The Net 2.0, just waiting to be made in Hollywood, I feel. Um, You mentioned GMs and decision makers. I feel like, and you talk to them on a daily basis, you know this world so well. Do you feel that there's an added amount of pressure on them ahead of the draft and even afterwards? Well, I mean, you know, what they all joke is like, you know, everybody who kills it this year in the draft is going to adopt all the different measures that they went to this year. And then everybody who, you know, everybody, anyone who lays an egg is going to blame everything on all the technology stuff. So, uh, you know, I think different teams are probably going to look at this different ways based on the results that they get. But some of the feedback I've gotten has been good, you know, like that they feel like meetings are more efficient now. I talked to Matt Rule, the coach of the Panthers, about this last week. And, you know, the point he made was as a new coach, like when he goes out to get coffee, when he leaves his office to get coffee, he gets stopped by five different people who want to talk to him. Eliminating that has made him a little bit more efficient in being able to do his work this time of year. Um, You know, teams, I think, are getting their coaches involved and coaches are getting through their tape quicker. Dan Quinn told me two weeks ago that his coaches were already through all the tape, which was way earlier than they normally would be. 
And so there have been some benefits here. And I think there are some things that teams are going to look at and they may adopt saying these things have made us more efficient. The flip side of it is I think you do lose some of the human interaction. But having prospects in your building, going out and getting to meet with them, it's not quite the same over the Zoom or the team's meetings as it would be in the past. You know, and then I think there's also kind of the element of sitting around in the room and watching tape and looking at your draft board and, you know, going through arguments, this guy over that guy, you know, guys can sit around a room, throw on the tape and say, okay, like, let's go through it. It's a little bit more difficult to do those sorts of things. But in certain ways, I think teams have found that it's actually a little bit more efficient the way they're doing it now. How is this being broadcasted? I mean, we know that the NFL and ESPN obviously have a, a direct relationship, but also outside of that, how are media outlets, including our own, going to work around this? We're actually, Luis, I wish I had an announcement for us, but we're actually still working through that ourselves and trying to figure <laughs> out the best way to use the the live video uh, you know, capabilities that we now have. I, My first three years at SI, I've anchored a show from New York. Obviously, that's not going to happen this year. Um, so we're going to have to get creative with it. And we've talked about different ways of doing it where maybe we have people lined up. So when this guy gets picked, we bring in this guy. When this guy gets picked, we bring in that guy. There may be possibilities that we can do things that we weren't able to do previously, similar to the way the teams have found some things have been a little more efficient doing it this way. Um, so, you know, that's us. As for the draft broadcast itself, it's obviously a little different because normally we'd have two networks broadcasting it at least. And so, you know, instead of NFL Network and ESPN having separate broadcasts, they're now doing their broadcast together. It's we're not going to have the crowd. Um, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, knowing a little bit about that world and having walk, worked in TV for 15 years, I, you know, when they go through some rehearsals and stuff. There's probably going to be a little bit, I guess, some creative license taken where I would think at least I don't have inside information on this. I haven't talked to those guys yet, but I would think that there's going to be a little bit of trial and error involved in that because like ever, like with so many other things in the world right now, um, we're all in uncharted territory. Absolutely. Unprecedented times. Finally, Albert, last question. How are you doing during all this? How is your reporting going and how are you preparing to report in the night? But also personally, how have you managed to juggle all these balls during this pandemic? Well, everybody who uh, follows me on Twitter at Albert Breer, um, just in case you're wondering, the tree is off the power lines. The power is back in my house. The cable and internet are working and I appreciate all of those things a lot more than I did 48 hours ago. Um, you know, it's been interesting, Luis. I, this is one of my favorite times of year. I mean, I, I, I really feel like for the, like with the people I cover, I'm able to give back to them a little bit and that, um, you know, I'm part of sort of this information trade that goes on. And that's always one of my favorite things to do, you know, is to kind of, and look, there's like a little bit of like an eighth grade lunchroom kind of dynamic to it that you're trading rumors back and forth, but it's, it's a fun part of this year. And I do feel like I can kind of offer something to the teams. Um, so I was a little worried that there wouldn't be as much of that. Um, as there has been in the past, but I, you know, I've found over the last couple of weeks that that world still exists out there. And, um, you know, I am still able to do some of it. We'll see how it goes because things normally, you know, heat up the last five, six days before the draft. And, um, you know, we'll see how that goes as we get closer to the draft. Uh, but so far I'm, I've been a little surprised that it's, you know, it's sort of business as usual, as much as possible, as much as it would be. For me, I mean, I, I, I probably would have gone to Tua Tungavaloa's Pro Day in Alabama on April 9th. Things like that come off of your calendar. But for the most part, it feels like I'm covering the NFL draft, which is exactly what I'm doing. 
SI senior writer, content strategist, uh, MMQB, Sports Illustrated. We're glad that he has internet. Let's not hope you have to go to a Starbucks anytime soon. Albert Breer, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks, Luis. We'll return after these short messages. Now that we understand the logistics of the NFL's virtual draft, it's also important to know how a player, young and untested, might feel during a life-defining moment. What goes through their minds before and after, especially in these moments? How much of themselves can they offer to a team during a time when physical and social contact is limited? We wanted to talk to someone who has not only played in the NFL before, but also knows what it takes to succeed, and why now, more than ever, players might be able to offer good advice to those who enter uncharted waters. Joining us now is Solomon Wilcots, former NFL defensive back with the Bengals, the Vikings, the Steelers. He's an Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, analyst, contributor for the NFL Network, CBS Sports, and Sirius Radio, and many more. Solomon, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Luis, thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, good to be with you today. And I know we're using technology to connect just like everyone else. So at least we're connecting quite safely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The, the most important thing is, is safety. Solomon, let, let's get straight to it. Let's talk about you for a second, your own draft experience. What do you remember from that day when you were drafted by the Bengals? Yeah, I just remember I had a couple of roommates and they weren't really keen on paying the phone bill. You remember those are days where where we didn't have a lot of cell phones. Not everyone had a cell phone on their hip. And so you still had to have a landline and they didn't want to pay uh, the phone bill. And I remember us not having a phone. And so what I did, I would um, there was a teammate of mine that lived across the hall from me and I would pay him. Uh, to use his phone. So in other words, we shared his phone bill and I would go over to his apartment whenever I needed to talk on the phone. And so I remember having to give out his number to all the teams and they say, hey, where are you going to be on draft day? Give us a number where we can reach you. And I sat in my apartment all day, just kind of waiting and waiting. And then when his phone rang, I just remember him yelling across the hall, Solomon, Cincinnati Bengals are on the phone. <laughs> and that, and that, that's kind of how I figured out who drafted me. Little did they know I was too poor, I guess, to have my own phone. And I had to use a neighbor's phone just to connect with the team that drafted me. <laughs> that is an unbelievable story. It's actually really uplifting. And actually, it forms a nice little connector to my next question, because now fast forward to 2020 during the pandemic and the NFL is getting ready for this virtual draft. And now you're talking to me about needing somebody else's phone. Listen, Solomon, as a former player who knows exactly what a player goes through in what's meant to be the most important day of their professional career, what do you make of it? What do you make of this virtual draft? You know, I, I think it kind of takes us back to simpler times, to be honest with you. And I know, look, if there's no pomp and circumstance. Uh, this draft will not be as celebratory as many of the others with the red carpet events. But I think given the times, I think the athletes need to understand that at the end of the day, they're about to become millionaires. And we don't need to 
showcase that kind of prosperity uh, and flaunt it in the face of so many others who are having difficult times right now, who are having difficult moments, first responders who are putting their lives on the line and, and people who have lost family members and friends. And so I think what we do is we pull back and I think the league has done a really good job of that. And I think it's incumbent upon the young athletes who spent their entire lives looking forward to this day, wanting to walk across that stage and hug Commissioner Roger Goodell after hearing their names called, that it's a small price to pay um, to take a step back when you consider all of what's going on, because they're still going to be able to inherit the fruits of their labor. They just won't be able to have that celebratory moment. And, and I think at a time like this, we ought to be able to calibrate and adjust kind of what we're doing. And so, uh, yeah, I just hope that's how they take it. But we can still go on with the business of dividing up the talent in the 2020 draft class. We just uh, probably should pull back from the celebration that tends to come with it. That's a really good point. You know, we talk about logistics and mechanics of the draft. We forget that actually this is also a time for perspective. Um, so the, I really welcome that that comment. But let's go back to the actual draft on the day. How much do you think does the virtual draft in itself affect a player's value? After the NFL combine went off without a hitch, most pro days were canceled or held without NFL scouts in attendance. So I'm specifically thinking not just about your Joe Burrows or anybody higher up there, but those yeah. prospects from smaller schools. How does this affect them, do you think? You know what? I, I think that today's with today's technology, that you know we can overcome it. Um, here is here is the reason why. Because say if you go to some Division three school or some small HBCU school, you still have a camera. You still can record your workouts. You still have your game tape. And now these teams are forced to sit in a room and watch the game tape. Okay, they can't just you know uh, go off of watching a guy in shorts and flying him in for pro day, watching and see how he does without a defense on the field and throwing the ball, You've got to go back to the game tape. And so in today's world, many of these players who may have played at a lower level can use the technology, get their game tape and all their footage of workouts and send them out to the teams. And the teams now are having to really dig deep and sit down and watch the player play. I think if you're a really good player, you'd rather those coaches and those general managers and those scouts see your game tape more than a workout. you rather them see you in action and you're able to send this to them. You know, we got players now who get recruited by big time division one colleges who they would have never made it out to some of these small towns to watch them in high school. But the players and their families are keen enough to send in the videotape and mass uh, produce them and send them out to all the division one schools. And then the schools begin to recruit based off a player sending their footage into the team and getting it into the portal. And I think we can operate the same way at this level. Now that everyone is kind of locked down, uh, the, the general managers and scouts, they have the videotape to go by. And so I, I, I think that's an improvement upon the process. There's the other point that I'm interested in your opinion, and that's about those who have character issues or injury red flags. So they're enabled essentially to convince teams that they're worth a shot. What do you what do you make of that situation and that problem? Yeah, I do believe that in some of these cases, there are players who might be able to fly under the radar. They may have something that they don't want to come up. 
and maybe because there wasn't that face-to-face interview, even though uh, some of these teams should have been able to interview all the players virtually and be able to ask any of those pertinent questions. Um, I don't know that they could send out in mass um, some of the investigative um, you know, bodies that they normally would use to investigate players and, and unearth uh, what it is they need to know more intimately about a player because everyone's kind of you know, on lockdown and under quarantine. So yeah, some of that could fly under the radar. Let's be honest. I, I don't, we know this isn't 100% optimal, but I, I think you get, bring up a good point. I think that's where we tend to maybe lose an opportunity to gain more information. Um, had we been operating under a normal circumstance. Moving away from the players, uh, focusing a little bit more now on the on the GMs. Do you think the draft, uh, the virtual draft, uh, essentially also becomes an even bigger task for them, not just ahead of the draft, but also afterwards, and in terms of how to you know manage who they have uh, drafted? Yeah, I think in, t- in a couple of ways. To your point, say you're number 19 on a board, and number eight, the 18th pick was just made, and that was a player that you planned to pick. Now you're on the clock you're probably thinking, man, I want to trade down and trade out of this pick. They got our guy, but you can't talk to anyone. Everything's done virtually. What if you have a glitch in the technology at that moment and there's a delay in the and uh, your ability to communicate um, with the league office as well as with the team that you want to pull a trade on? So uh, th- some of this stuff, as you well know, can get lost in translation when you're not right there to have the conversation or maybe you don't have the normal apparatus for communication and you're on the clock, right? The clock is ticking and the teams expect you to maybe pull the trigger. So uh, I do believe that the league is is thinking about this and they're going to offer maybe a few more minutes for teams to operate in, in the fact that there's some kind of anomaly with the technology. But at the end of the day, it does put us in a place where we're operating in the unknown and operating with some uncertainty, even though we may have have some default systems um, put into what we expect to be doing with the technology. Let's talk about the Bengals, who have the number one overall draft pick after a 214 season. You could say it's one of the most important drafts in their history. In a way, virtual or not, I imagine it's a pretty self-explanatory first pick with uh, the aforementioned Joe Barra. How do you see uh, their day going? You know, the Bengals have been here before. All you have to do is go back to 2003. I mean, they had gone about maybe 14 seasons of just sitting at the bottom of the NFL. And then they uh, drafted Carson Palmer. And with Carson Palmer everything changed. Now, he didn't play in that first season. John Kitna sort of carried the water while they built the rest of the team around Carson Palmer. They got him ready for 2004. And under Carson Palmer, turned around the organization, and then they began to go to the postseason. They began to go to the playoffs. Now, they didn't win a playoff game under Carson, but prior to his arrival, they could never even get to the postseason. And so with that first overall pick, it really did change their franchise. And now they find themselves back in that position. It's got to be Joe Burrow. We know it's going to be Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow had arguably the greatest college football season by any college quarterback in the 150 years of college football. I mean, he shattered records against some of the most impressive uh, competition and some of the most impressive defenses you could ever put on the field. Um, he re- he had it running away every single week. 
He upped the ante in terms of what you expected to see. He answered every question. He answered every challenge. And I think this is an easy pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. Finally, Solomon, uh, I want to talk about you a little bit. Right now, as an analyst, a uh, contributor to so many networks and, and media outlets, how's your life going through this pandemic? H how are you maneuvering your daily routine? You know, Luis, I'm very fortunate because we have technology. You and I could sit here and we can talk and we can produce content, right, to distribute to many of the fans who want to know about the National Football League. And I've been part of the NFL since I was drafted back in 1987. So for 30 plus years, either as a player, as a reporter, as a broadcaster, as an analyst and writer. And I now serve uh, at PFF as a senior analyst, write content on our website at pff.com, where you can read some of the articles that we're able to produce. Um, we can get all that done from home. I have a home office and I can get everything done right here virtually, right? I can get the articles written. I can shoot all the videos and do all the recordings. I have access to our database um, for right here at my home office. And so I'm very, very fortunate. I'm one of the fortunate ones. I get to continue to work, even though we're quarantined at home. And so I feel really blessed in that way. And uh, it's always a good day when the National Football League continues to be productive. Now let's all pray and hope we don't have an interruption to our football season because that can change everything. Solomon Wilcott's former defensive back. He is an analyst, contributor, and also we have to remember he studied journalism in college, so he knows his stuff. <laughs> Solomon, thank you so much and stay safe, you and your family. All right. All the best to you and your family as well, Luis. Take care. When the NFL decided to go ahead with its draft, Commissioner Roger Goodell and his team essentially made two statements with the decision. One, regardless of social distancing, this league was determined to carry on with business as usual. And two, as Albert and Solomon mentioned, it would be proactive, both logistically and technologically, where it would meet the requirements of a complex production. But a virtual draft is also an opportunity to show innovation, and something perhaps we didn't even think about before COVID-19 affected our lives. The ability for the league to create unity between the NFL, its 32 teams, the selected players, and its most important piece, the fans. Thursday night, therefore, will be a test for one of the biggest sporting bodies in the world, and we will see how much the NFL can not just adapt, but also react during unprecedented times. Thanks to Albert Breer and Solomon Wilcots for joining me today. We'll continue bringing you these stories throughout the coronavirus crisis. If you like what we're doing, please recommend us to a friend or family member and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. You can listen to Coronavirus and Sports for free wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe or follow us for the latest episodes. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.